return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Been a, it's uh, been a good week. A week ago, I was on a path at this point. Uh, I've had a stress test before, and this would be like a stress test times 10 as I was hiking up Black Elk Peak. In the Black Hills, 7,242 feet. Uh, it, it takes, uh, it's an effort. It's a strenuous trek. But at 67, I made it. Hallelujah. And uh, I was following my grandkids, uh, or my older grandkids, uh, Mike, Elijah, and Haley, and then two of Mike and Eli's friends. And they're all like deer, you know. They're in great shape and athletes and so forth. So the start of it was just fine, but then you start going up like that. And so I'd go and I'd be panting like, wait for, I couldn't even see him, wait for Papa, you know, and then going climbing over rocks and trees and different things around stuff. And, and uh, they'd wait for me, you know, I'd catch up, catch my breath, okay, and we'd take off again. So normally this hike takes, they say, plan for four to five hours, but we had teenagers. So we went up, stayed up there, took pictures and so forth, kept, came down in three hours and 15 minutes. So that's teenagers for you. That's, that's what they'll do. Um, before we left on that, uh, before we left for the Black Hills, I was called by Ray Phipps. I've uh, been to India many times now, and uh, two of those trips, three of those trips involved uh, being or having Pastor Alicia with us. And uh, Pastor Alicia has just uh, had such a tremendous heart, especially for the unreached peoples, you know, to go to places where, Maybe nobody else would go, and to go in difficult situations and stuff. And uh, uh, tremendous heart establishing churches, uh, Ray and Wilma doing what Jesus did to uh, train people, train pastors, and then to go out and do the works of Jesus, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, people raised from the dead, all kinds of stuff. Uh, And so Ray called me to say, Pastor Alicia is just 50, to say that he died. And uh, Alicia is just, uh, just 50 years old. Let's play that one video, though. Here's Alicia, the last time we were with him, and uh, he was talking here. Yeah, greetings, my dear friends and partners, and uh, uh, we welcome uh, to see uh, the testimony and the witness and uh, the report from India with Pastor David Jenny Kaufman. And we are right now in the city of city called Machili Patnam in Andhra Pradesh state in India. And we had a wonderful conference, two meetings yesterday um, on 18th of this month. And 100, 
80 pastors with their wives. Uh, total 360 people attended for the conference, for the two meetings. We have wonderful sessions, uh, Pastor Jeannie and Pastor Dave, and wonderful anointing of the Holy Spirit and the wonderful word from the Lord and great revival and there was great fresh oil anointing for on the servants, leaders, pastors and evangelists and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful beginning in the beginning of the new year, the blessed conference with the Holy Life Tabernacle and we love you so much and uh, after the conference we heard many testimonies and um, God revealed many things to Pastor Dave and Jeannie about the sick people and pastors and the tumors disappeared and the stones in the kidneys disappeared and uh, even in the next day I heard the testimonies by the phone calls that many healings of tumors disappeared and stones being gone away and uh, many miracles like uh, hip joint pains and uh, um, like uh, uh, tumors and uh, headache and um, uh, tuberculosis and heal from the different kinds of sickness and uh, we thank God for this wonderful time of Pastor Devan Jenny Kaufman with us. It's a, such a great, great time of ministry and outreach. Thank you so much. God bless you, Alicia. We pray for his wife, Elizabeth, his three children, Lord. We pray you minister to them in Hyderabad and touch their hearts, Lord, and give them uh, strength, provision, and just lead them, Lord, in their life at this moment, Father. Guide them for the next steps that they have in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to go to South India right now. We're going to go to a city called Chittur. And this is where uh, Pastor Jeannie and I were at this January. This was in 2019. Uh, now it's 2020. Let's play that a second. Well, Father, we thank you for this gate for this new church. And we thank you that we enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Hallelujah. And so tonight, Jesus, we dedicate this gate, we dedicate this ground, this holy ground, that all who come through here shall be blessed, encouraged, refreshed in the Lord. All surrounding here will be influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we dedicate this now. We thank you that it is open for your service and use in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you. We're so glad to be here tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Church in the background there. Amen. The Amen. Doorway as we walk toward the doorway. This is a great night. Uh, Sam Cootie is with us there on the left, the left side of Jeannie, Sam Cootie. So this is a church we, we, we walked through. Chatur is a smaller Indian town, only about a million people. And we walked through the narrow streets at night to get there. Uh, a couple narrow streets, pathways and so forth to get there to this church. And uh, the presence of the Lord is really tremendous. A lot on this trip, we talked about the Holy Spirit. That's where the angel showed up to in that one picture. Uh, really amazing. And in our meetings and stuff. Uh, so we dedicated this gate. And this, we also pray just protection around this place. We're always pr- praying for protection. You know, we gather here and 
safety. We're not thinking about the police coming or anything. But in there now, they've been locked down until today, I think, they can have some services in India. Uh, and so in the meantime, while they're locked down, all the Hindu neighbors here took money and paid a government official to destroy the church. And so they paid the, the money so that they could come and hopefully do it without people there, see? But the people heard about it, and they gathered, and they stood in this place. So let's play, play, the, uh, play that next video saying This is Sam sent this to us last week. Uh, or so they brought this vehicle in, and the people stood in, in the way of this vehicle of this church. There's the people in there. They're praying. These are Holy Ghost people. There's the gate we just dedicated. There's the, there's the vehicle there that right stopped right at the gate. <laughs> and they're not going to allow it to go any farther. Behind him is a government official over here. So their language there in South India in this state is Tamil. <laughs> so Sam sent this to us, and uh, he said, Pastor, the testimony is, is that, of course, they stood there in front of that, that vehicle, and uh, uh, they went to the city in the meantime, so there are people standing there praying. They go to the city, the city says, no, we're not going to do anything about it. They said, you have to take it to court. And they said, we're not taking it to court. We've, this, is, this is our church. This is established church. We've been here a long time. And the city officials backed down, and they moved the vehicle, the tractor vehicle away. And, of course, they're rejoicing. But this is what people face in other places. You know, uh, if this might have been in a village, it would have probably just been torn down. But in a city, they, of course, through social media, rallied and went and prayed. So, hallelujah. Thank God for protection. Amen. Thank God for protection. Okay, you can turn on the lights. So we're talking today, today we're just talking about the dressing room. And uh, uh, you, have to think about, you have to think about a dressing room. You know, what are you going to wear in life? And now wear means what are your actions going to be in life? How are you going to live your life? How are you going to live your life personally? But how are you going to live your life around other people and so forth? Now, in, in Galatians 1.13... So we're talking about the dressing room of God, Galatians 1.13. Paul came and he persecuted the church. And uh, uh, notice what it says, beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So uh, he's persecuting the church, and King James has wasted it. Uh, so, so he's doing everything in his power, his conduct, all right? Everything in his power to destroy, beyond measure, to destroy the church. Acts 26, verse 9 through 11. So I thought I'd do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. Notice the word contrary. 
So the opposite of what Jesus stands for, Paul says, I'm going to try to do the opposite of that. I'm going to be contrary to the name of Jesus. And in Jerusalem, many of the saints, he says, notice he shut them up in prison. He received authority from the chief priests. Of course, he went to get that authority from them. And uh, when they, notice, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So we don't know how many people he was responsible for, in a sense, killing. But, but he was responsible for killing people. And so he cast his vote, meaning he witnessed against them to say, yes, they are against the law of Judaism and so forth. They deserve to die. It's interesting that many, many religions uh, find it within themselves that it's proper to kill people that, that don't follow their religion. Christianity is the opposite. Someone can leave Christianity. If they leave Christianity, we pray for them, but we don't kill them. <laughs> can you say amen? amen? Well, that's how we live. We don't, we, don't, we don't kill people. Someone can leave the church. You want to leave the church? You can leave the church. You can go to another church. But in many other religions, if you leave their religion or you leave their group or whatever, you face, you face harm. You face persecution, potentially death if you do things the wrong way. And Paul was on this sort of bent in his life, all right? So he was doing things contrary. He, he voted against them to put them to death. He punished them often in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. In other words, he tortured people. So Paul physically tortured people. We think of Paul the apostle. This is Saul of Tarsus. But he tortured people. He forced them to curse God. He forced them to turn away from Jesus if he could by inflicting pain and punishment. Get the picture? Amen? All right. So he was exceedingly, exceedingly enraged against them. He was a demonized man. Demonized man. I persecuted them to foreign cities. In other words, not just in Jerusalem, but to go out to uh, other cities, to go to other places and so forth. Now, you might think, you know, why... Why, why would Paul do this? Why do people do a lot of things in life? We are a product. Every person is a product of your upbringing. So you're a product of your mom and dad. You're a product of your family. But you're also a product of people around you. And so we all have a viewpoint, uh, an opinion, and so forth. But that's all because of the programming in our lives. So everybody, everybody, any, any person on the planet, as they grow up, in one way or another, because of influence, they're being programmed to act a certain way. All right? And so we gather a point of view, an opinion, because of what someone else maybe has taught us or told us. Now, same with Saul of Tarsus. He was trained in the way of the Pharisees. He was trained in Judaism. He was zealous for God, but not in a righteous way. Jesus actually said in the last days, people will try to kill you in, in the name of God. You know, uh, We see that happening all over the world today in various gods where people are killed through various, because of various religions and so forth. It's a very sad sort of thing. And so Paul is a product. He's a product of his upbringing. He's a product of what he learned. Amen. Now, the thing in life is, I think we always have to realize 
that Paul didn't know Jesus yet, but once you know Jesus, you have to start relearning. You have to start relearning. You have to start being retrained in the ways of the Bible. So to think like we would say, to think like Jesus would think, to act like Jesus would act. And see, what happens for even many Christians is they, they come to Christ, they get saved, <clears throat> they start going to church or whatever, but they kind of stop. They kind of reach a place where, well, I'm good enough, I really don't need to change anymore. And that's a sad story because it'll never bless your marriage. We're constantly changing as a husband and wife. We want to change for the better, right? Yeah. Then your marriage can get better. You can be blessed into old age. You always want to be in this place of change. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will change us from glory to glory. So you want to be in this place where you're soft in the hands of God and being changed and renewed all the time. We go to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. And again, it says he would judge himself the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church. None of the other apostles did this, but Paul or Saul of Tarsus did this. He persecuted the church. And we saw in the verses prior to that the degree to which he would do it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. He says uh, uh, they heard that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. (laughs) So here, what what is this saying? It's saying that there's hope for anybody. The guy who once tried to destroy the faith, and physically, we're not just saying, just like, oh, he just spoke bad things. No, he, he actually killed people, he arrested people, he put people in prisons, he destroyed house churches, he did everything in his power to destroy things. To destroy the faith. Of course, you couldn't do it, right? You can't destroy Jesus. He's alive and well. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. But in this world, there are persecutions. There are persecutions all the time. There's somebody who dies in India every day because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There's people not far from where we've ministered, where churches have been burned. Pastors have been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In the one pastor's conference I was in years ago, the, the one person was talking and everybody was listening, you know. The one leader was talking and everybody was kind of listening. And I said, what's he talking about? And this is a pastor's conference. This was their pastor's conference on that day. And he was saying, well, if you die, we want you to know, if you die, we'll buy your casket. Telling the ladies, we'll buy the casket for you to bury your husband. That's quite a pastor's conference, isn't it? Most, most people in America aren't going to come to a pastor's conference like that, where we're going to talk about your funeral if you're martyred for Christ. And yet that's the kind of pastor's conference of the meeting prior to me sharing was talking about. So Paul was this sort of person who was contrary to the things of the gospel. Now he's preaching Jesus. Let's look in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, uh, Jesus enabled me. He counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. So he's just, he's a vile guy. He's just, he's not the guy you want to be a friend with, right? He's not going to be your friend, probably. But it says he was a blasphemer, he's a persecutor, insolent man. 
But I obtained mercy because I did it in unbelief. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul, Paul, who was Saul, you know, was at a place where all of a sudden his life gets transformed. I've got written on my desk this quote from uh, Martin Luther King that he spoke in the early 60s and so forth. But it says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. First John says God is love, right? And love, or, or we could say God, but he's the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. So when, when they brought Saul to, he gets saved, bring him to some house churches. Everybody's appalled, like, get this guy out of here. We don't, we don't want him around here. And then they're afraid. Now they're exposed because they know where, where we meet. So for a while, nobody wanted to be around this guy until Barnabas comes and brings him and says, wait, wait, wait. He is a brother. He has been converted. And then Paul would begin to speak and talk about his testimony, how God touched him on the road to Damascus. And people would kind of, of course, be leery of his life as they should be. But then realizing, no, this guy really has changed. When we go into a dressing room, a dressing room is a humble place because you're taking off clothes and you're putting on clothes. When you go into the dressing room of God, he wants to take off the old and put on the new. God wants to change us. Now, listen to me. It's great to be saved. And many most churches, that's as far as they go. But God wants to continue to change us into his image. He's not it's not good enough to be saved. I mean, it's good enough to get to heaven. Hallelujah. But in this life and in this world, he wants to change us more and more that we would be like him. That means we go into this dressing room and and it's very intimate and it's very personal. But he's taking off old things and putting on new. You have to be humble to do that. If you're going to walk with Jesus, let me just say this. The best thing you can do is be humble. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to change. <laughs> so many times we think of what others need to change. Have you ever had somebody just irritate you and bother you? Maybe a coworker or something like, could be a family member, who knows. But anyway, somebody irritates you, bother you, and you kind of think, Lord, change them. But in the meantime, a good prayer would be, Lord, change me that I can be loving to this person. That I can be loving to them. You know, the Bible actually says the unbelieving spouse can be won by the, by the other spouse. By their love, by their character, by their nature. How we treat one another, how we care for one another. So a big thing, a big thing in life is humbling ourselves, getting into this dressing room and realizing, man, I've got to change. Let's look at this, uh, quickly a second. So Ephesians 4. So we're going to kind of rest. Find it in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to kind of rest in this chapter for a little bit. But here's a dressing room. You put off. You take off things. The former conduct. The old man. The old clothes all tarnished. <laughs> now see, Saul of Tarsus got, got saved on the road to Damascus. Then he goes into Damascus. Anyway, there's, it says the street, street called Straight. Years ago, remember at the Starlight Inn, we had a gal from Syria, SDSU person from Syria, and she lived, she lived on that street. 
straight. And we thought, there's still a straight street? She said, yes, there is. Live there. So Saul goes there. And then, of course, God speaks to a man to go and minister to him. And the shackles fall from his eyes. He gets baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and all things like that. Hallelujah. You can be saved, but still not transformed. You can be forgiven, but you still might be a crusty old person. Follow what I'm saying? In other words, we have to, we have to will to change. You have to will to be a different person. You have to, you have to be humble enough to say, I'm wrong. <laughs> I got to change. Either my attitudes, my actions, my words, all those things go together. I've got to change. And to go into the dressing room is something people do on their own. It's not like God's going to push you. Dave, would you get in there? No, no, he's not going to push me in there. No, I've got to go in there. I've got to realize, boy, this is an old garment. I've got to get rid of this. And so you go in and you take off the former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. It's kind of like this. When I got saved, I got saved in a bar. Thank you, Jesus. Forgiven, redeemed. Hallelujah. My life began to change there. Started reading the Bible. Realized what happened to me when I started reading the Gospel of John. Third chapter, I was born again like hallelujah. And then begin to change. Begin to change my actions. Begin to change my words. Begin to change how I looked at people. Even, even people that I was around, I thought, boy, if I'm going to be with a girl, I should be with a Christian girl. And then I thought, if I'm going to be a Christian girl, I should be with a Spirit-filled Christian girl. Somebody on fire for the Lord. Amen. We see God wants to change us. And then, of course, realizing, well, let's see now. I grew up in a family just all boys. We didn't have any girls. We didn't have sisters. God bless my mom. She put up with a lot. But, you know, we weren't a Christian family, religious, but not right. And so, so now as I had to learn again, I, not again, but just learn, relearn, what does it mean to be a man? Because in our house, everybody was athletic, everybody was macho and so forth. Not really a man of God. You wouldn't want to follow my dad's example for what it's like to be a husband. All right? Not good. So how do you treat a lady? Well, going back to the Bible, how are you going to treat someone with politeness and courtesy and so forth? Being transformed. Right? So we learn things, but we have to keep changing in life. And here was Saul of Tarsus, the same thing had to change. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, uh, he had to apologize many times to people. Now think of this, you know, he's still around the neighborhood, so to speak, the region, and he comes up to people like, you helped kill my grandma. Or my dad isn't here because you, you killed him. You know, the fingers that would be at him, look at him. The stairs that would be at him. If, if he came into a, a, a meeting like this or something, the stairs that would be at the hate. And you could understand it. Because of the person that he was. Now, he could get up and say, well, I'm a Christian now. You know, I'm all forgiven. Yeah, you're all forgiven. But now transformation has to take place. And then healing has to take place. Right? I mean, can you expect someone just to go up and say, well, you're a Christian, so you've got to forgive me. He's a murderer, but you've got to forgive me. No, no, no. You've got to build up trust. You've got to build up things in your heart again to realize, okay, okay, that's a process. It's always easy for somebody to say, well, you ought to forgive him. 
Are you in their shoes? Are you walking where they're walking? So people are looking at Saul of Tarsus and so forth. And Barnabas is, you know, it's like he's the testimony figure, I'm sure, in meetings. And yet people are, well, we'll see. And gradually, it took years, years and years and years before he was actually walking in apostolic ministry. Many, many years. There's a process. There's a process of growing. There's a process of being in the dressing room. And even after he starts his apostolic ministry, it's not like that's over. I pastored for a long time now. And so many times when I'm in the Word of God, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know, because I know we're getting into an intimate place. And he's saying, Dave, I want you to adjust this. Dave, I want you to change this. I don't want you to, you know, have this vision or perspective, whatever. You understand what I'm saying? We learn. If you stop learning, you become an old wineskin and the Holy Spirit can't use you. You're stuck. You're stuck then in your past. You're stuck where you're at. And the fact is, everybody still needs to change. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, keep changing. You don't want to stop this process. So he's taking off the old clothes, the old clothes, the old garments and all that stuff. And now he's in the place he's going to put on beautiful garments. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord. He can take things out of our heart. Sometimes things we're, we're not even sure that are there. But the light of the gospel shines brighter and brighter. And all of a sudden we think, oh, wow, I didn't know that was there. But he can take it out and replace it with his love and the new nature of God. It doesn't happen overnight, folks. Amen? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Now, let's, look, let's go back to the first part of this chapter in Ephesians. And let's read, Paul says, now I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He made a lot of people prisoners. But now he's devoting his life to everything for Jesus. You know, God is working all the time his love in us. And that's a good work. It's a good process. And he says, you want to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, patience, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, he's a prisoner. He wants to walk worthy now the fact that he was saved and forgiven from so much. Now he's walking this new life, grateful for what God has done, that now... You know, he is on a path to heaven. But you have to have humbleness, gentleness, patience, and bear one another in love. And you have to work to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, frankly, folks, I don't know many people who do this at all. I don't know many pastors who do this, let alone church people. Most people are so caught up in their own group that, that they don't have any unity with anybody else. Now, we're talking about Christians here, okay? Forget about the world. We're just talking about Christians. But most people are caught up in their own group and their own thing that is so important that they lose sight of his thing and of his kingdom, which is so much bigger. To walk in unity means that we have to humble ourselves First of all, to walk in unity, we have to really 
admit at times that we're wrong. And secondly, we have to desire to change. No perfect churches, no perfect pastors, no perfect systems. The one who's perfect is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Amen? So in our day and time, folks, when we, when we process even everything going on in the world, you have to look at life and you think of Christians. How can I change? So we have to be humble. We have to admit desire to change and so forth. Both go together. But this is all a process. Amen? It's all the things God wants to work in us for his glory. And it takes the Holy Spirit to do that, but we have to be the ones that step into the dressing room and to say, okay, this is kind of scary, but I'm ready to change. Every one of us folks has to do this. And we have to keep doing it the rest of our lives. You have to keep pressing forward and forward for the rest of your lives. And when we do that, things happen in us, but things also can happen through us, toward other people. Amen? So, humbleness, gentleness, long-suffering, working with each other in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, does not mean that you're going to agree on everything, but there's a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let me just say this. You cannot legislate unity. You cannot legislate peace. In our government, uh, uh, many years ago, there was a group called the Moral Majority. And so the, the goal was that they were going to legislate biblical laws and so forth and mandate it for people. But you cannot do that in life. You cannot, you cannot legislate someone and say, now you're going to be a perfect person. can't do that. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no unity. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no harmony. Because outside of Jesus, there's no perspective for forgiveness and grace and mercy. Because in our own selves, we lack that. We don't have forgiveness and grace and mercy. We have the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. <laughs> Gandhi once said, Gandhi from India once said, if you believe that, old this is an Old Testament verse, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He says the whole world would be blind and toothless if everybody did that. There has to be a place, again, in Christianity. Now I'm talking about Christianity. All right, this is where then you can find mercy and grace and true unity and true cooperation, not something that's just cosmetic, not something that's a photo op for a paper, not just a law passed. Okay, laws passed, that changes everything. Doesn't change, doesn't at all. It doesn't at all, folks. There's many, many laws in the books, and yet those laws are broken every day. Why? Because of human nature. So until we get it, become a Christian, first of all, first and foremost, then get in the dressing room, then there's change in our hearts. When there's change in my hearts, then there's change around me where it begins, right? First in your home. Then it spreads out to other places. 
to your job, to people that you're around. That's the influence. That's the vision. And Jesus sending back the Holy Ghost. Wait for the promise of the Father, for the Holy Spirit to come to empower you to be like me. So he wasn't passing laws. He wasn't being like a strict sort of thing. He's saying, I want you to be like me, to love people. Love them to life. Again, an old Indian phrase and says, is be the change you want to see. Well, that's, there's truth in that. There's truth in that. What do you want to see? Well, be, then be the change. Amen? With the Holy Ghost. You've got in your bulletin here one another thing that Martin Luther King said is returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Adding a deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Instead of love, just say, let's just say Jesus, all right? Amen? Only Jesus can do those things. But it's got to begin where we say, and folks, this is why we pass out Bible reading schedules. This is why we emphasize being of the Lord every day. It's because you get into the dressing room. Folks, there's many people, there's many people, let's face it, in halls of government and so forth, or Congress or whatever, and they're going to champion a law or whatever, and their home is a mess. They act like some rude dictator in their own house. Their marriage is a mess, their kids are a mess, everything else is a mess. But they're going to pass a law so that everything will be fixed. And it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. It happens when we as Christians go out and influence others. And how are we going to influence them? Not with a finger in their face, but with love in our hearts. That's how change happens. That's how, that's how God works in us. Amen? When you start getting in the dressing room of God, you start thinking more about others and not yourself. The one thing he wanted to deliver us from is our self. Oh, let's see. Just a second. Let me find this. See if I can put my finger on it. Okay. Can we find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15? And folks, you should write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Live for Jesus. If I'm living for myself, then it's all about me. It's all about me. You know, our church here, I love the culture. I love the people from other countries, other races, other nationalities. But let me ask you this. How much do you know about the people in this church? How much do you know about Felix here? How much do you know about Felix? <laughs> huh? How much do you know about Felix? Felix, come on up with me a second. Come on up with me also, Willie. Come on up a second. Well, come on up a second. How much... How much would you know about Felix? 
Felix, where'd you grow up? Mission, all right? Rosewood. Come on, come on, Willie. So, and we've had some good conversations, haven't we? And you send me some great texts. What a blessing. And you're a great witness, like to your friend and to others sharing the gospel. But how much do you know about Felix? See, most fellowship, most fellowship is people get around and they want to talk about themselves. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about my week. Let me tell you about my things. But how much do you know? How much do you know about Willie? Glad you came today. <laughs> how many know where Willie works? How many of you know about Willie's past and so forth? Not a bad past. Past. But how, do you, how would you get to know them unless you visit with them? First of all, you've got to know their name, right? And second of all, then you've got to ask questions, right? Don't be so quick. See, when we're delivered from ourselves, don't be so quick to talk about your life. Listen to somebody else. Right? When I was visiting with Willie at one of the men's wild game feed. Remember that a few years back or so? And uh, I was asking how you got here. And Willie was on the eastern. How many know where Congo's at? Democratic Republic of Congo. Think about that. Geography. Geography. You know, knowing where places are at or, or what goes on in the Congo. Most all of you have a cell phone with material in it from the Congo because of the minerals and the richness that comes from that country. And your phone won't work without it or it comes from the Congo. There's a lot of adversity. Willie worked for the United Nations. Did you know that? Worked for the United Nations and helped there and did different things and so forth. Sure glad you're here with us. <laughs> Faced adversity. I said, did you ever see, do you ever see like bombs explode? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mortars and different things like that. And then came from the east of the Congo. When is, how did they get to the United States? How did he get to the United States? Think about, how did he get here? Wasn't, were you translated? No, <laughs> no, no. How many of you know about State Department lotteries? Our government has State Department lotteries. You ever heard of such a thing? It's in many countries. His wife won a lottery, isn't that right? And you then were able to come with her and come here. You know, how do we get to know people? Felix, were you shot once? Once. I'm glad it was just once. Were you stabbed once? Several times stabbed, okay. How do you get to know someone unless you talk with them? What's going on in their shoes? What's going on in their life? Isn't that right? See, we're all consumed about us. When I was in India years ago, one of the first trips, and I had an Indian come up to me and he was very angry. And he says, You Americans, you're all, he spoke English, he said, You're all arrogant. You don't care about anything. He's a very angry person. And I, at first I was taken back. Thank God I didn't retaliate. And I just said, why would you say that? And he said, you don't care. You don't care about anything here. And I listened to all the things that he said. You know, even geography. Don't know where India's at. <laughs> and I just said, obviously I'm in there. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but that's not me. That's not me. I do care. And that's why I'm here. I do care about your life 
and your country and people here in India. Taking in, you know, things from others, learning. Learning from Felix. Felix got a good heart. Loving Jesus. Amen. Got a good heart. Same with Willie. Loving Jesus. Now, none of us, you see three guys here, none of us are perfect. But we all love Jesus, right? All love Jesus. And because of that, we have, we have unity in the Spirit. And we have a bond of peace. Right? So we have unity in the Spirit. Not that we're all exactly the same, but because of the blood of Jesus... We have a unity in the spirit and we have a bond of peace. Now, does that stop? Do I know, do I know everything about? No, no, I want to learn more about Felix yet. I want to more, learn more about Willie and their family. You know, you know, getting married in other countries is unique. Different always, you know, not always like the United States. Getting married in India, they're all arranged marriages even in India. But things in Africa, too, you have cultural things sometimes or tribal things. You have just different things. You know what? Let me just say this. I don't want to be too political here. But we invaded a country called Iraq. We invaded a, the United States invaded a country called Iraq. All right? And we go in and we do that. We take out a dictator. And we go, that's it. And what happens? All hell breaks loose. And from the White House to the Defense Department, everything, everybody's going... How could this be? You know why it was? Because they're too stupid to get educated. And I mean that to Washington. They didn't even learn. There's tribes. There's tribes. There's factions. And everybody just thought, oh, now everything's good. No, no, all these tribes and factions. There's tribes? They don't like each other? Now they don't like us? And everybody's taken by surprise from the president of the United States who declared everything's over and then all hell breaks loose for years and years and years through the defense department because nobody asked questions. That is the absolute truth, folks. They're arrogant Americans who didn't ask questions about that country and can really care about that country and those people. YouTube will probably take this down, but it doesn't matter. It's the truth. Folks, Christianity has to be different. Can we say amen to that? How Christians respond have to be different. How we look at people, care about people, learn about people, relate with people has to be different. Amen? Amen? You have to get in the dressing room. You have to get out of yourself and care about somebody else. Karen, I look at you. I think how you got here. We were on a Bible study in her farm like 42 years ago. (laughs) And here you are yet today. You're on fire for Jesus. You're praising God. Probably nobody here knows your story, your testimony. But I do. I'm proud of you for your life and your character and your love for the Lord and your influence. And you've influenced a lot of people for the glory of God. And it pays off. 
You are fruit that remains in the kingdom of God because of your walk with Jesus. Wow. You've influenced all your children. All your children serving the Lord. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah, great granddaughter. Where's she at? Your daughter and they're in the back. Your daughter and granddaughter and so forth. God bless them. Jim, I love your past. I love where you've come from. <laughs> You're a trophy of God's grace. And go, I look at your family and just think, thank you, Jesus. God's blessed your family, Jim. <laughs> blessed your family. Just remarkable. You know, it's a great testimony. It's a great testimony for the glory of God. Great testimony. We've got a lot of people come through the doors here. A lot of people come and go. Raymond, I got to tell you, they're going to... Moved to Florida, but I got tears. Come up here, Raymond. Say, I got tears because I've grown to know you. You're not just a member. You're a brother. Come on up, Beatrice. Come on up here. I just think, I just think, leaving is like, no, no, stay here yet, Willie. No, no. Hardest thing as a pastor is let people go. Most pastors don't. They, in fact, they give, them, they give them guilt trips like, you shouldn't leave here, you shouldn't do this. No, 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 we want to release people. People are going to grow and be used, and they are being used around the world. <laughs> Beatrice, we've gotten to know you. Amen. Atlanta. Amen. You're going to be closer to Atlanta. We'll meet your parents someday. Yeah. How do you get to know people? How do you get to know people? By talking. You know what most people do? We tell this all the time in conferences and stuff, like Women Alive or even pastors. Don't talk to the people you know. Talk to people you don't know. And most people do what? Gravitate to people they know. Their best friend. They're going to talk to their best friend. You know, what are you doing? And so forth. And don't talk to the ones they don't know. Look for somebody you don't know. Talk, ask questions. Obviously, after service, there's not always a lot of time. But you could come earlier. You know, you could look for opportunities. You could get someone's phone number and say, do you text? Or can we have coffee together? Amen? Can we visit together? That's how you have to work to maintain some sort of unity in the spirit. In a bond of peace. I love unity that we have. I love the peace we have. When we went to Kumase, Ghana, and it was Alexander that was at Kunst University. Okay, and what's what's the words for it? It's KNUSD. KNUSD. And Alexander got his PhD degree here. And we called Alexander, we go to the campus, and he's got all this wall of SDSU stuff. And the pastors we were with, the pastors we were with, saw Alexander and his response to us. They watched. He had tears in his eyes, he hugged us, and he realized, wow, these people have relationships that are worldwide. These people care. We talked with Alexander, his family, different things like that. It's powerful, really powerful. 
Folks, things don't just happen in life. You can't wait always. Well, I'm going to wait for this opportunity, the moment to be right. Just, call, just talk. Talk. <laughs> talk. I've learned my life is better if I shut my mouth. In fact, the Bible says to be slow to wrath, you know, uh, really have two ears and one mouth. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Have two ears, one mouth. So listen twice as much as you talk and ask questions. Let's just stand up together. Kind of up to time here. Come on in close by us here. Willie, God bless you all. Love you. Always good to see you, Felix. Touch someone. Ah, you can't touch hand. Touch someone's elbow. Touch someone's elbow. Father, we thank you for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Help us, Lord, to be humble. Help us to change. Help us to desire change for your glory and honor. Help us to desire change, to be like you, Jesus, to be just like you, Jesus. So we speak blessings over all the people around us today. We speak blessings over the nations in the name of Jesus. Blessings over friends and family in the name of Jesus. And Father, we we pray, change us. Change us to be like you. Change me, Lord, to be like you. For your glory. Thank you, Lord, that the dressing room experience is a good experience. From glory to glory. So I thank you for your blessing on this church. The people here today. The people listening via Facebook Live and so forth, that they would be encouraged in their own heart to walk totally with you, Jesus, and to love others as you love others, and to walk with believers, Lord, in this bond of peace and unity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you today. Thanks for coming. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Give someone a little elbow in a good way. Amen. Say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife@brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., Also, Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.